0: Matthew chapter 17, we're going to begin in verse 14. This is right after Jesus having come off the Mount of Transfiguration. Michael taught on this last week, looking at Peter, James, and John there on the mountain with Jesus and everything that transpired and took place. And it says in verse 14, and when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him. Mark's gospel gives us a little bit more insight. It actually says there's arguments that are happening down below. Verse 15 said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I with you? How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why were we not able to cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there. It will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Next verse. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him and be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Verse 24. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him, first saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, and the sons are free. However, not to give an offense to them, go to the sea, cast a hook, take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Let's pray. Lord, give us wisdom. Help us to understand this text within its context and what you want to portray and share with Redeemer's Church today. I give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, I get to discuss and talk about what it looks like to come off the mountain and enter into the world of brokenness and suffering. It's going to be fun, huh? Right? Welcome to Redeemer's Church. And initially, this was going to be about 40 minutes, and because... I'm going to sweat through my church or my shirt in the next 15 and hallucinate. All right. So I'm going to say probably some things that I don't mean to say this morning because if you think it's hot down there, it's like 10 degrees hotter up here. So we're going to break this up. I think it's got a nice breaking point, but it means you really do need to come back next week to make sense of this text. So. As we look at this, this morning, I want you to keep in mind this idea of a broken world and suffering. And now, maybe you've heard the famous line, I think, therefore, I am. Mm -hmm, You've heard it, good. Well, I would actually say something more along the lines of this, I suffer, therefore, I am. Suffering, suffering is a part of the human experience. I suffer, therefore I am. It's about three or four years ago, I'd gotten a text message from somebody who had been coming to our church off and on, and it was just kind of this long-worded text message of my life is so horrible. Your life looks so great. Why do I suffer? Why aren't you suffering? Now listen. Listen. These people weren't being mean to me, but they had a legitimate question, and so I gave a legitimate response. When they had sent me this message, it happened to be about September, and that August, we had found out that our car worth about $3,000 needed $5,000 worth of work, and just a few weeks earlier, it had blown two tires, my wife was going 45 miles an hour, and almost went completely off the road. Uh, Not to mention that same month, my wife miscarried fairly early into her second trimester, emergency surgery, and we almost lost her life. Obviously lost the baby's life. And as I shared this information with this person, there was this aha moment that The things that she was perceiving on the outside from my life were not necessarily all the things that were going on on the inside. In fact, what it showed her was me, you, the world were not immune from suffering. Suffering is a part of the human experience. Now, the wrong assumption this morning for you when it comes to suffering and as we get into this text is I'm the only one. You ever felt like that? I must be the only person in this room with this disorder, with this complex problem, with these marital issues, with these children issues, with these personal issues. Because we come together and we sing these songs, and everybody looks so pretty and nice, and Redeemers has iced coffee, and it's wonderful. Must be great to be a part of that. I'm the only one. That's one assumption that is wrong. And the assumption, another assumption that is wrong is that suffering is all bad because it's not. We have this tendency as humans to think I'm the only one suffering and all suffering is bad. So at one point or another in your life, in my life, we are going to hit suffering. And we have this incredible biblical story that is all about God, telling how he's redeeming us, making us a part of his story, and it's littered with stories, like this morning, of people who suffer, including God himself. Now, there's a few things that we must discuss, and we're gonna knock the first three off this morning and save the final two, which really makes sense for next week. But there are... uh, five things, five areas, five ways in which we suffer as humanity. And the big question behind it all is, why do I, why do we suffer? Why is this all happening? First and foremost, if you're in here this morning, it's highly probable and likely that you have suffered at the hands of another person. Unjustly, having something done to you, not that we're born into this world perfect. No, for in sin, our parents, our mother, did conceive us, as David says. But there is this aspect in which a human can suffer unjustly at the hands of another person who has brought them harm or wrong. You can suffer this morning at your own doing because of your own stupidity. Because sometimes we're just idiots, and we don't realize it, and we put our foot in our mouth, We cause harm to ourselves. We do things we shouldn't do. There's also a suffering out there that exists, which is a mysterious kind of suffering, one that there's this tension like Job, who wasn't quite sure why what was going on in his life was happening. All his friends, friends, They told him, maybe you should look at your own life or your own problems. Maybe God's just angry with you. You better check what you have done. And he's trying to figure out why he's suffering. In Acts 3, there was a man who was born lame from birth. And he would be for 40 years there, taken to the temple to be able to beg and to ask for money. Not mobile. And finally, Peter looks down at him and says, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. But here's the question. This man born suffering, asking the question over and over again, why me, Lord? And it wasn't just that he suffered with his immobility, unable to get around. It's that in that society, who was going to marry a crippled man because he couldn't provide for the family How would he procure children for his lineage and his name? These high values that would have been initiated in their society, things that there was so much prize put on. Emotionally, he would have had to have worked through so many difficulties and problems and being able to ask the question, why me, God? And there's this mysterious suffering that can happen in our lives. Why do we suffer? Why do you think you suffer? Why do you think people around us suffer? We could categorize it as Christians under this one umbrella term, three letters, sin. Gosh, I hate that word. Oh man, do we really have to bring that up here this morning? Yes, sin. What is sin? It was this moment in time when God had created everything good and gave right commands for the humans to follow. Adam and Eve there in the garden. And they have this idea implanted in their heads that maybe God was withholding something from them. Maybe they should be able to choose right and wrong for themselves. Maybe they should be able to tell you yes or no. Kind of like when your children really begin to first exert their will, and you're like, do not touch that. It will harm you. Well the knife really harm me, Daddy. Will the exhaust pipe that you say gets really warm if I get near it really harm me on the car? Can't I play around it? Yes, but your free will, you're going to exert your will on that and do what you want to do. And so here is the problem. God making us these creatures, these beings, with the capacity and the ability to choose good or bad, right or wrong, humans chose poorly. And we've continued that cycle from generation to generation to generation. So God, in his kindness and in his goodness, set up a standard of morality that's woven into the fabric of creation and said, here, if you want life and abundant life, this is what it looks like. And we said, forget you, God. We're going to do it our way. And because of that, we've perpetuated a cycle of sin, which causes suffering and harm one to another. Well, why doesn't God just stomp out sin if he's so good and powerful? Ask those people how they like the Genesis 6 story. You know, the one where he said everybody's doing wicked all the time, so he sends a great flood to work through one new man there, Noah, and his righteousness? They don't like that story, but that's what it would take. And then we see with Noah, this new beginning, the same problems persist. And the world has been on the cycle of needing a hero, of needing a savior to put an end to suffering, to conquer death, and to invite us into that life. Some of you may know where I'm going with that. The biblical answer is we suffer because as humanity, we rebelled. If you are a parent, you've used this with your children several times. You're suffering right now. You're grounded because you chose to rebel. And so in this fractured world, relationship between Us and God has been fractured. Relationship between us and others have been fractured. And relationship between us and this earth and why it's so dang hot today has been fractured. All right? It is scorching. What do I mean? It's been a few weeks since I've been to Genesis 3 with you guys. But Genesis 1, 2, and 3, three of my favorite chapters in the Bible. We see that right there in chapter 3 where they're hiding Adam and Eve from God. They have exposed one another and there's shame. You need to be clothed. You need to be covered. Adam is blaming his wife Eve for the failure that's happened. God has said now the earth is going to be cursed and by the sweat of your brow you will produce from the fields. And there needs to be something or someone that restores all of this. Suffering is here because of what humanity has done. And God has hope, and God has an answer for us. Now, what I want us to see this morning is as we look at this passage, it comes on the heels of the Mount of Transfiguration. On the Mount of Transfiguration, you have this glorious moment where the goodness of God, the Father speaking to the Son, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Peter, he gets excited. He wants to build a tabernacle. He thinks they're ushering in the kingdom in that moment, and it's going to come through power and force. But they have to, at some point, come down from the mountain and face reality. And when they do that, the first thing that comes flying at them is going to be opposition because of their closeness to Jesus. We're going to further unpack this next week. But what this is essentially going to say is, if you are a Christian, you can absolutely expect suffering in this world because it's fallen and broken because we sin, because we sin against one another, because there's just this mysterious aspect of things that go on in the universe. But as a Christian, because you bear the name of Jesus, like Jesus and the disciples, those three coming down from the mountain, they're immediately met with demonic oppression, with a demonic presence that is casting this child into the fire, into the water, and there needs to be healing. And there at the bottom of the hill, there are these disciples, and they're confused, and they don't have an answer as to why things are happening. That tends to be sort of the realm in which we live in. We look at our pain, we look at our suffering, we then see other people's lives and wonder why it's not like that for them. We're confused, we're broken, and we're hurting. What does this story all mean for us this morning? The transfiguration, it's a foreshadow, it's a taste of resurrection. But the story to follow tells a story of someone who's headed to the cross. Who's headed to the cross. Life is a journey to the cross. I need you to hear that this morning. Life is a journey to the cross. In Luke's gospel, chapter 9, Matthew, chapter 17, Mark, chapter 9, all three of the synoptic gospels, we call them the synoptic gospels because they tell very much the same stories and follow the same line of thinking. John's a little bit different in the way he portrays and gives the retelling in his gospel, all unified, one story leading to Jesus. But here's what you need to hear and understand. All of these make a point to say Jesus turns a corner and he's making his way towards cross. And there's this mountaintop experience that was so incredible and so good that they partook in. But when they get down, when they come to grips with the world around them, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be a pain. And if this is true of Jesus, there is definitely a lesson in here for you and for me. Yes, we have the mountaintop experience, and that's a truth and a reality but as it was for Jesus, there is a life for those of us who follow Christ that is headed to the cross. Oh, shoot, Brett. Sunday school didn't teach me that. Jesus brings rainbows, unicorns, gumdrops, and lollydrops, lollipops, right? Like, isn't isn't that it? Isn't that what it's all about? Here's what we need to kind of split on a little bit. Is this morning. You've got Jesus who's going to stand in our place at the cross. But it's the same Jesus who says, there's going to be trials and tribulation. If you follow me, father will be pitted against son, mother against daughter. There's going to be disruption in your lives There is going to be intentional suffering that you walk towards because you have chosen to follow and walk after me. And there's a portion of that in Western evangelicalism that we say, we want no part of that. We just want some comfort. We just kind of want to know we're going to get through this and it's going to be easy. And what we have developed is an assumption that all suffering is bad, but in reality, it is the very suffering of Christ that has brought the goodness of God's grace into our very life. And if it's true for him, how much is it so gonna be true for us as well? You see, yes, we're going to suffer because of sin, harming one another mysteriously, but we're also, as Christians in a very particular way, going to be met like the disciples with opposition because you are a Christian. That would be point number four on that f- five-point checklist. We've worked our way through four, tracking. And number, number five would be this, is that Jesus walked into suffering and did not avoid it. And as Christians, there are going to be those moments when we're called to walk into that suffering. That we're called to walk into that tribulation. Now, believe it or not, I'm almost at 20 minutes. And to wrap that up this morning, because I just wanted to kind of tease it out for you, what, what this means for you and for me right now. As, as Jesus had that incredible moment, as Jesus comes down from that mountain, and there he's immediately met with opposition, how is somebody who knows they're going to the cross, able to keep their composure, their joy, their hope. There's something that suffering will produce in each and every one of us. It'll either produce bitterness, anger, frustration, where we begin to lash out at any and everyone and everything. That's, That's definitely something that suffering can produce in our lives. Or or it can produce, produce a sweetness, a joy that comes through brokenness. You see, it's been in my lowest of lows that I've been able to come by another side and comfort them because of what we've walked through. When we allow the suffering that comes into our life to begin to form us and shape us and mold us, to make us into a people that become compassionate, loving, and inviting. When we say we're not going to let this harm us in such a way that it turns us bitter and angry and calloused and cold. And we say, yes, in this life, I can accept the reality that suffering's going to come my way. It's part of being a human. I'm not alone in this suffering, and I'm actually allowed to share my experience with other people and invite them into that. It creates a softness as we submit ourselves over to Jesus and allows for us to move into another person's life and to share that same joy and goodness of God even in the midst of tragedy and difficulty. How is that possible? It comes through the big idea, the big term of worship. Of worship. When you come off the mountain and you're faced with the presence of problems and evil and darkness, the way to not turn cold and dark and bitter is to remain a person who worships. That's what it's about. That's how you'll make it through. And that can, yes, be through the form of song and praise. Absolutely. It can be through community and friendship and fellowship breaking bread and sharing a meal with one another, gathering with the saints. Here's what I want to leave you with. You can look around this room. I know many stories in here, and there's more stories I'm going to get to know. And anytime we hear stories, people have these moments where they share their pain and they share their suffering. And most of them, they look at me and they say, the only way, the only way we get through this is with Jesus. That is part of the human life. You need Christ. You need Christ. Now, next week, I'm gonna push you a little bit because next week, I'm gonna challenge you to say, there are some times when I have to intentionally, like Jesus, walk into suffering, give of myself, pay the tax, so to speak, like Jesus does in Matthew that there's going to be evil that comes my way. I think i got a fun story to share with you guys next week. It'll be great. But I want you to think about this. Where in your life are you suffering right now? Where are you suffering? Have you cried out to God? Have you told him about it? Have you faced it honestly? And have you invited others in it to walk with you, to encourage you, and to be with you? You think about that as we pray now. Lord, thank you. Thank you this morning for your love, for your mercy, and for your goodness. Lord, I know that in this room there is pain, there is hurt, there is suffering. Some of it's just caused by our own doing or at the hands of others. Some of it we have no idea why. Some of it you've called us to actually walk into and towards to willingly lay down our lives. Some of it's because of the just evil presence that wants to oppose those who walk with Jesus. And I pray that in this moment, your love and your light would shine into our specific situations. That we'd be reminded that we are not alone and that you yourself entered into the deepest, darkest moments of suffering so that we would never suffer alone ourselves. You brought light into each and every one of our situations and the light of Christ works in us And through us, be our hope, be our joy, in Jesus' name.